pray with me. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for you because you truly do make all things new. Lord, in this place today are many stories, many walks of life, many different experiences, God. But we are here together because in all of our lives, Lord, there was a day when you said that the old is gone and that new life is here. And we've gathered here as testaments, Lord, of your greatness, your power, your miraculous love, Lord, and how you have made us into a new thing. So thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness, even when we were not. And thank you for this time that we've gathered. So, Lord, as we open up your word, Lord, may you speak to each and every one of us, Lord. May we hear the gospel truth that changes lives. And may all of us, Lord, no matter where we find ourselves on the scale of our spirituality, may each and every one of us, Lord, from the one who is speaking to everyone who is listening, may we all leave from this place today changed. Change with the focus, Lord, to love you better, to allow you to come inside of our hearts and to help us to be the best witnesses for you that we can be. Father, our prayer is just as your son Jesus was, Lord, that we may be one as you and he are. Speak to us, Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, so much. Amen. Amen, amen. All right, well, if you have your uh, Bibles, uh, open them up to the uh, book of Acts. Remember, we're in the book of Acts, uh, chapter 2, verses 38 through 41. And as always, it will be available for you on the screen. Um, For the time that is ours today, I want to share with you briefly from the message, our series, chapter 1, page 1. And today is chapter 1, page 1 of a life renewed, of a life renewed. And so, again, Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 37, uh, this is what the word says. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are our all who are far off, for all whom the Lord will call. And with many other words, he warned them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Chapter 1, page 1 of A Life Renewed. So can you all uh, believe that we are almost at the close of our first series as a church? Isn't that pretty cool? Yeah, or maybe not. Uh, and so uh, I, uh, I know one thing's consistent. Um, before uh, the two churches came together, uh, you guys fell asleep on my sermons. And, um, and even after the blending, nothing's changed. Uh, clearly, we've got to figure out some way to get some energy in the preaching uh, so you guys can stay with us. Um, but uh, this has been a good series, chapter one, page one, because it is chapter one, page one of our story. And, uh, and I'm loving this this so far because I've seen the miracle that is taking place. Um, this 
text that we're in today uh, that we've been walking through for the last few weeks is, uh, is the first sermon of the Christian church. First sermon, aside from Jesus' sermons, of course, but this is the first sermon of someone aside from Jesus Christ within the Christian church by Peter the Apostle. And uh, man, it's been a good message, man. He's, he's really been tackling some things and helping the people to deal with some issues and uh, exposing some things, as Matt mentioned last week, where he just kind of went straight to the heart on some things. And, and now we're starting to see the fruit of that, or we're going to see the fruit of that today. One of the things that I see within this that I'm enjoying is seeing the miracle, the miracle of the church. Usually, when we think miracles, we, we go always go to the extreme. So if I say miracle, you're thinking about uh, people being raised from the grave. You're thinking about people being healed from diseases. And all those are miracles, yes. But you want to know what I believe is the greatest miracle of all time? The saving of souls. The fact that at one point, someone, all of us, were headed for this place called hell. And Jesus came. And life eternal is now ours. I love that. That's the greatest miracle anytime that I see someone who decides that I want to spend the rest of eternity with my Father in heaven. I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. If you want a, you want a miracle that will make me lose my mind, I, I, listen, I'm comfortable with seeing people healed and those things are great to me. But for the simple fact that there are people who will make a profession that I will outlive my sickness that I will outlive the issues of this world, and on that one great and glorious day, I will spend my time with my Father in heaven. That is the greatest miracle on earth to me. I love that, man. And watching this story and seeing as Jesus, I'm sorry, as Peter completes his message, and when he completes it, 3,000 people gave their life to Christ. Last time I preached a couple of weeks ago, 3,000 people said, I quit. They said, I'm not doing it anymore. Uh, yeah, we're done with this thing. Just, just joking. Y'all not awake yet, clearly. The rain, the rain has got you. All right, all right. So uh, it, it's a miraculous thing, and we see it uh, as Paul talks about it at one point about how miraculous it is in that scripture, uh, Romans 1.16. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes to the Jew first and then the Gentile. That term miraculous right there specifically speaks to the miracle-working power of God in the hearts of the individuals when they receive Christ into their heart. And so within this, we see this great moment in history as the Holy Spirit fell on the people. It descended upon their hearts into the crowd, and many people, many people were rescued, and they received forgiveness. I thought about this scene. I think in images, and I looked at this scene of all of these people, 3,000 we know that gave their life. We don't know how many people were there. We know there were 120 disciples who were there and how great this scene must have been. And I thought about the sermon that Peter was preaching and just how it penetrated the hearts of the people and how clearly, because it was kind of a lengthy sermon. Brian says, I preach long. It was a lengthy sermon, and perhaps he wore them out that they could no longer resist what the Lord was trying to speak into their heart. And I love that about Jesus. I love that about the fact that, that no matter where we find ourselves, that Jesus never gives up on us. That he'll keep continuously sending messages to us time and time again until on that one day, you know, I just can't fight it anymore. I just find, I have to give in. There's something about what he's doing. 
I heard about this with a story of a, of a group of people who went on a, a trip. They were going on this uh, whitewater rafting trip, and they were at the river, and they were preparing to go into the river. One of the guys, a big guy, he was afraid of water. He couldn't swim. He was getting his gear together, and just when he was about to put his life jacket on, his foot slipped on the banks, and he fell into this rough water. Well, everybody else who was within the group, they were not great swimmers themselves, but there was one pro. He was a great swimmer, a pro, and he saw them, so they called him to the side. He says, listen, he fell. Can you go get him and help him? And to their dismay, he stood and he watched the guy struggle in the water. And he watched the guy struggle in the water until the guy completely stopped struggling. And just when it seemed as though the guy was about to be completely submerged in the water, the great swimmer, he jumped into the water, and he pulled the guy out. When he got out, all the crowd, they was upset because they thought they would have lost their friend. They asked him, how come you didn't jump in immediately? We almost lost him. The guy says, listen, had I jumped in when he was fighting for his life, he would have been strong enough to take us both under. I had to wait until he was weak enough to where he could no longer fight before I got in. Sometimes what God has to do with us is he has to outlast us. He has to let us run our course. You got to do your mess, do your junk. All the problems that we get involved with, we have to live our lives. And when we have no strength to fight him anymore, finally the Lord speaks to our heart. He says, I want to pull you into an experience that I've been waiting for you to recognize you're not strong enough to save yourself, but I can. This is what I see in this story as Peter is speaking to the people. I feel like this group has been there and they've been listening to this sermon and, and Peter has allowed them to wrestle and struggle with it without letting them know there is a solution to the problem, to the pain, to the healing that you need. And his name is Jesus Christ. But before he could give them the good news, he first had to let them deal with the realities of their struggle and of their sin. And when they were weakened and when they had no more strength, Jesus spoke and, and uh, Peter spoke and he gave them something that would help them so that they could understand or learn how they could live the life that Christ wanted to. In fact, there is actually evidence within this scripture of that this is actually what's taking place when it says that they were cut to the heart. That's specifically what it's speaking to. When it's saying cut to the heart, it's not like it's literally cutting them. It's actually a term that was used by Homer. Homer, the Greek writer. Homer, it talks about, or it's the imagery of horses stamping the ground repeatedly. And when they could no longer resist, they felt the pounding upon their heart. They were then open enough, their hearts were softened enough to allow the gospel to seep inside of them. So as Peter was speaking, the image here is that their hearts were overwhelmed with the reality of where they were within their lives. And it hit them pretty hard and to the point where they asked a question. What, 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 what do we have to do now? What do we have to do now when he hit them with this reality? I can imagine. I mean, can you imagine sitting there, this crowd, this crowd, this crowd of thousands of people, uh, many of whom were from around the area. If you think about this crowd, and they had seen Jesus himself. They saw the miracles. They saw many of his great works. And Peter says, listen, this Jesus whom you saw do all these great things, you do know you're responsible for his death. Can you imagine how convicting that must be? Or how about the fact that this, that all of us here who sit in this room today, 
we can't be discounted from that number for we are all too responsible for the suffering of Jesus Christ. We are all in that number. When Peter is speaking to the crowd, he is also speaking to us. That's what Paul talks about when Paul says, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us because we too are responsible for the suffering, the bleeding, and the dying of Jesus Christ. When Peter said those words, the Bible says it cut them to the heart. Now, I don't know about you. You all are probably much better people than I am. But for all the years that I've been a Christian, I still struggle with the reality that Jesus died for me. Because I know me. I know my story. I know my thoughts. I know my tendencies. And to think that the all-perfect Savior looked at me and saw that I was worthy enough for his blood, man, that still doesn't make sense to me. That's why I have no other choice but to serve him. That's, this is what Peter is pointing the people to at this moment. The reality hit the crowd so hard. They said, listen, what should we do? Have you ever been there? Has something ever hit you so hard, so tough, that you had no other choice but to respond to that moment? It was so taxing on your spirit that you knew, I I have to do something about this. There are some of you, I know your stories, you currently work in ministries or in organizations that you've devoted your life to it because something cut you so hard. I remember the day. I was 16 years old. Standing over the casket of a friend of mine, Jack. Jack was 17. He was the third, the the fourth friend in three months that I grew up together. And I stood over his casket and I saw his dead body at 16 for the fourth time, one of my childhood friends. And at that day, I knew I never want to experience this feeling again. I'm tired of grieving this way. It cut me to the heart. And I knew that if I am not going to experience this, I'm going to have to live differently than the rest of my friends. Cut to the heart. Has something ever cut you that deeply? Well, I don't want to experience this pain, or I don't want someone else to experience this pain. This is the scene here. This isn't some pseudo-emotional moment that these people are experiencing. This was life and death to them. It hit them hard. They grieved there to the point where they asked Peter, and all the apostles, okay, we, we get it, brothers. What do we do next? It's a moment of despair. But what do we do next? And I love Peter. As they were cut to the heart, they asked the question. Peter gives them a classic gospel presentation. He simply says these words, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the Holy Spirit. He says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins in the name of Jesus Christ, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. If you want to know what to do about the cutting that you feel, if you want to know about the pain that you're experiencing in your life, if you want to know how not to suffer the way that you do, if you want to know the answer to that, simply repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins in the name of Jesus Christ, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Notice I keep adding the piece that he says there, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because understand that it is a part of the conversion process that you have to have the Holy Spirit. He's not optional. Which is what Peter has been illustrating through this entire time. So when the crowd is asking, they're really asking two questions. What must I do? Number one, what must I do with the pain that I feel inside of my heart? And they were also witnessing something. They were witnessing a powerful moment displayed by the disciples who came down from the room, the 120, and they wanted to know, what must I do, number one, for the sin that I feel inside of my life, and secondly, what must I do so that I can be empowered like that group right there? (laughs) Peter says, simple. 
repent. Be baptized. Your sins will be forgiveness. And the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Yeah, this, these, are, these are the essentials of the conversion experience, the essentials. Now, notice I said essentials, and I did not say requirements. This isn't a conversion equation because simply, if, you know, if it's about being saved and saved alone, all you got to do is confess your sins, and Jesus saves. It's really just that simple, I promise you. But Peter wants them to know, listen, Jesus came so that you can have life and life more abundantly. So rather you, than you just getting hell or fire insurance, let me tell you the full essentials of it, Repent for the forgiveness of the sins, and the rest of the story is the Holy Spirit will guide you through the rest of the process. So I never try to, you know, just assume that you guys understand the terms that's here. So can we take a moment and define some things? Is it okay? Then I promise to let you go. Uh, we'll talk about number one. The first word is repent. Say repent. repent. Since y'all are a little tired, I'm going to make you talk back to me today. Repent. Uh, repent is simply this. It's to change one's mind and way of life as a result of complete change of thought and attitude with regard to sin and righteousness. You got that? It is to change your mind and way of life as the result of a complete change of thought and attitude with regard to sin and righteousness. It's, it's a, a complete shifting in how you think and live. That's what repentance is. Uh, I, I thought about this. I remember, uh, man, you know, kids, kids need Jesus more than anybody else. Uh, if there's any parents, you know exactly what I'm talking particularly the little girls. Um, little girls are something special. There's something else. They're too smart for their age. And, um, and they say some crazy things. And, and I remember uh, when I first began ministry, uh, I grew up in the Baptist church. In the Baptist church, when you... Uh, uh, profess your call to the preaching ministry, the first thing they do is you teach Sunday school to small people, uh, which is like baptism by fire, baptism by fire. The first group that I got were middle school kids, and I would have rather taken the nursery, but middle school kids uh, who clearly need Jesus. I was given this middle school class of boys and girls, and I remember we were talking about repentance. And so I asked them, because we went over the lesson last week as a refresher, who remembers what repent means? And one of the little boys, he was you know, kind of bright, and he raised his hand up, and he says, yeah, it's, it's being sorry for your sins. I was like, good job, little Jimmy. Man, gave him a high five. Little girl, she was about to have a conniption fit, just waving her hands, and finally had to call, well, what you got to say, baby? She says, that's not the whole story. He's wrong. I, I said, well, I don't know that he's wrong. She said, mm-hmm, because my mama says that uh, repentance means that you're sorry enough not to do it again. I said, oh, you, you might be right. Uh, <laughs> You, you, you might be right. But that's, in essence, what repentance is. It's not only being sorry. It's not just some emotional, verbal mouth speak. It's actually saying that I am so sorry. I'm so sorry, Jesus, that my sin hurt you. I, I don't want to do it again. You know what that comes from? That comes from love. When you love someone and you hurt someone, you're sorry enough. I'm sorry enough because I love you. I'm sorry enough that I don't want to see you hurt again. So I am now going to do my best to not make you feel that way again. It's not, it's not about just behavior and obedience. It's more about the relationship. That's why it's about having a relationship with God because if you have a relationship with God, you'll understand that God has feelings. We make him feel some kind of way. And because, God, I don't want you to grieve for me, so I'm going to do my best so that you don't feel that pain. It's not just about being sorry. Here, Being sorry doesn't lead to conversion. Believing does. Being sorry doesn't lead to conversion. Believing does because when you believe something, you behave like it. 
That, that, that's, that's what's taking place right now as I'm looking at you. You believe the fact that those cheers will hold you. Therefore, your behavior says, I'll sit knowing, believing, behaving as though these chairs can hold me. When you believe something, you behave as though it is. The fact is, no one has ever known what you believe based upon what you say. They simply look at what you do. No one has ever said, okay, I know they're a Christian because, man, they can say some, Christian, some scriptures. The reality is there's a lot of people who don't know Jesus who know scriptures. They don't have to look at what you say. They simply have to look at what you do. There's an old saying. It's, it's attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. He really doesn't say it, uh, but they say it all the time. And they say, preach the gospel at all times and, when possible, use words. Preach the gospel at all times and, when possible, use words. That, that's, a, that's, that's a great analogy. I love it. I love it. Let people see what you believe based upon your life. This was the experience of the crowd. The 120, they share the gospel. And the experience was so wonderful that these people who were on the outskirts says, hey, I want to know how to be like them. I want to know how my life can reflect what they are. How do I have that? Peter says, listen, I got a solution for you. Repent. It begins with repentance. It begins with a heart change. Repent, or another simple way to talk about repentance is this. Repentance simply means to turn back to God, to turn away from your sin, because sin is always self-gratifying and self-elevating. But when you repent, you turn away from your self-gratification. You turn to God glorification. You live for him. You live for him. So here's the good news. Peter says, when you repent, your sins are forgiven. There's really nothing else to it. When you repent, Jesus doesn't ask for a contract. He doesn't ask that you agree and come on this behavior code of conduct. He doesn't say, when you repent, your sins are forgiven. That's the full equation. That's the conversion. When you repent, Jesus says, all is covered. I will wipe your slate clean. And what I love about him is that he's not like people. Like, you know, Jesus wasn't like, okay, listen, please stop apologizing. You're not going to hell now. Please stop it. He, he doesn't have an attitude about it. He's, when you repent, Jesus, he's, I'm done with it. I will never throw it back up in your face. You know people like that? Where no matter how much you apologize or how well you do or how much you try to be nice to them, they still can't get over what you did to them 20 years ago. That is not our Lord. Our Lord isn't holding our sin over our head, which leads me to this. You want to know the number one issue of many people in the body of Christ. And this affects so much of our behavior and our attitude towards people. It's not so much that we don't know that Jesus has forgiven us. No, no, we, that's, that's it. We don't know, we don't believe that Jesus has forgiven us. And so we live as unforgiven people, which then impacts how we love other people. When you understand how much he's loved you, it's almost impossible to hold something over somebody else. When you know how grace and mercy has covered you, it's almost impossible to condemn someone else. That's why I love it. I love it. A propaganda, the rapper says, he says this. He says, it's called amazing grace, and if it's not amazing, then you probably don't understand it. When you recognize how great his love truly covered a multitude of our sins, then it's impossible for you to look at somebody with the side eye because you'll recognize, man, I'm undeserving. And he looked at me as though I deserved his sacrifice. 
Jesus says, Peter says, listen, repent, and your sin is forgiven. And just in case you all don't understand what forgiveness means, I got a definition for it as well. Here's, here's what forgiveness is. It is total and complete absolution, a release from the obligation and debt that sin brings. Total and complete absolution. Which means we come with this tremendous sin debt, a debt that had to be paid, and when it made its way to Jesus on the cross, he completely wiped it clean. It wasn't bankruptcy. It wasn't, it wasn't, but we still have good credit before our Father. It's still there. He completely wiped and absolved all of our guilt and sin before him. And all he wants is a relationship. So what Paul was talking about, he says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is why it's good news. Repentance is more than just lip service, and so is our forgiveness. It's a reality, something that we can live by. But here's what I, I, I've listened to in so many meetings in my office and over coffee and dinners and meals with people where I hear people struggle. People don't know that they are forgiven. So can I take a moment and speak directly to you? Is it okay? Uh, I, I don't know everybody's story specifically, but I'm just going to throw some things out. Just I, I feel like I need to tell someone this. There, there's someone here, you, you, you feel like you did so much uh, that you hurt someone so badly that Jesus will never forgive you for that. Jesus says you're forgiven. You're covered in that as well. There's somebody in here, you, you, you have You've stopped communicating with God, and it's been so long that you feel like I can't even come back to the table, to the conversation anymore because he doesn't hear me. And I want to say if that's you, it's forgiven. There's somebody in here today who feels like you've been so low, so depressed, you've been so separated that you can never work your way back into a right relationship with Jesus. I want to tell you, you, you are forgiven too. It's completely absolved. You don't have to worry about that. There's somebody, you've been condemned. You've been contemplating suicide. You've been wondering if your life has any purpose, any hope. I want to tell you, you, whomever you are, the Lord says your sins are forgiven. You're included in this as well. There's somebody in here, you want to serve, you want to give your life, you want to be around people, you want to live in community, but you separate yourself from relationships with people because you feel like you cannot be around people because you're not good enough. I want to tell you, all of us are sinners. We all gather with one basic understanding. We have all been forgiven. None of us deserve to be here. Jesus has forgiven us, and that is the reason why we gather as a community, not because we are perfect, but because we serve a perfect God. You are forgiven. And if I did not hit you, Wherever your story is, whatever the foundation of whatever makes you feel the pain down in the depths of your heart, that you feel cut to the heart, Jesus is speaking specifically to that for you as well. All of us have been forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. He simply wants you to do this. I feel like you've already done it. You need to know when you repented, when you said, Lord, I am sorry. Jesus said, my son, my daughter, your sins are forgiven. You can now dwell with me. It is okay. Don't allow the enemy to condemn you any longer, make you feel like you don't matter, like you don't have worth, like your life doesn't have purpose. You have purpose, and here's how we know this to be true. The God of heaven wrapped himself in flesh, 
saw our needs, came down on earth, and saw every last one of your sins and said, you, my son and my daughter, are worthy of the stripes. You are worthy of the suffering. You are worthy of the pain. I will give my life for you, and I will raise up so that the enemy will no longer be able to condemn you. You have been forgiven. Peter says, it's over. It's done. Ernest Hemingway thought about this. He wrote a short story called The Capital of the World. And in the story, uh, there was a son and a father who were estranged for years, and the father was growing old, and he wanted to see his son Paco back home with him again. And so one day he decided, you know what, I'm going to put an ad out in the newspaper. I'm going to write, I'm going to say, Paco, all is forgiven. Love your dad. Meet me in the town center. <laughs> the next day the ad goes out. The father goes out at the time in which the ad does. And when he gets there, 800 Pacos <laughs> are in the town center looking for their dad because they want to be forgiven. It's there. I hear it in your testimonies. I see it in your eyes. I hear it in your stories, your faces. I see it. I see it. It's there. All is forgiven. Your father has forgiven you. He has not stopped loving you. Don't equate the way that your earthly father loved or did not love you to how your heavenly father is. Because they are not the same. Even if you have the best dad in the world, his love doesn't even equate to the love of your father in heaven. Paco, your sons, Paquita, whatever it may be, your sins are forgiven. This conversion process Peter has taught is uh, was the pathway to a new life. And what he was inviting this crowd to was for new life that can now be achieved within um, a relationship with Jesus Christ. He says, repent. Repent is one step. Uh, then then, then you, well, your sins will be forgiven. That, that comes immediately. He says, be baptized. That, that seals the deal. Uh, repent. Uh, be baptized. That's the seal. And I'll talk about that in a moment. Your sins are forgiven. Can I, can I illustrate this for you real quickly? I have a real cool thing. Kevin, you ready for me? Uh, this, this, this image right here, this, is, this car needs to repent of its sin. This, this right here, whether or not you know it, is a beautiful car. It's got a lot of potential. It, it, it was not created this way. Life got the best out of it. It experienced some, some tough times, some storms. It, it had some wrecks. It's, its heart has been damaged. It's not currently working. It's sitting on the side of the road. It's been abandoned. It's been abused. People have forgotten about it. People walk by it, don't even give it a second glance. But I'm trying to tell you, there's a beautiful car in there. It's a beautiful car. It's just, it's been worn. Life, life has gotten the best of it. But, but something happens, and the redeemer or the restorer gets a hold of the car. And this thing right here becomes this right here. Because the restorer, the redeemer got a hold of it. Please, please don't think that this is about beauty. This isn't about the beauty. All the restorer did is bring out what was already within the car. He didn't make a new car. He brought out what the creator, the manufacturer created the car to be. Go back, Kevin. Our lives oftentimes are like this, needing repentance. The manufacturer created us for beauty, created us for a design, for a purpose within our lives. The manufacturer did not create us, and, but life happened. 
People hurt us. The world abandoned us. People mistreated us. People left us for dead. Things happened. We were wrecked, had issues. But then something happens. We repent, and the great redeemer, the restorer, comes, and he changes us from that to this. All of a sudden, it's not about the beauty. It's not about the paint job. None of that is. I'm talking about the restorer. All the restorer did was bring out the beauty that the manufacturer designed the car for. That's an illustration of what repentance and forgiveness of sin does. God brings out that which we were originally created and designed for. But here's baptism. Next picture. That right there, that's, that's a seal. What that does is that, that lets everyone know that this is the original that this has been fully restored, that this is not a fake, this isn't a phony, this is, this is the real deal. There was a true conversion that transpired here. So baptism, baptism does not seal the deal as, though, okay, now that you got baptized, you are officially saved. That's not that type of seal. It's the stamp that says made in heaven that been converted by the Father in heaven. It is the seal that suggests and lets the world know this change that I've gone through, this isn't some ordinary change. This isn't some mouth service. I have been changed and transformed within my heart by the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I am new. I am, I am new. I am new. Hope, hope y'all got that right there. And um, we're going to get out of here. Can you imagine... Can you imagine the crowd? They're cut to the heart. He explains this to them. Then he says this to them as well. He says, verse 39, that this promise is for you and your children and for all who are all far off, for all whom the Lord will call. And what Peter was sharing for them was this. He was referring to the fact that this, that they were going through, this experience, this promise that he's speaking to them isn't just for the crowd that was there. But what the Lord wants to do, he wants to send it throughout generations. Your children, your children's children, to the Jew and the Gentile. And as they were there, 3,000 people saw and heard the gospel on that day. And 3,000 people gave their life to Christ and repented. And those 3,000 souls and many of their families now dwell in heaven with our Father on heaven. And I love that story. But you want to know what I love best about this? It's the person whom is delivering the message. The power of this, aside from the gospel truth itself, is the person with whom the gospel message is coming from. Peter is speaking not from a position of judgment and condemnation, but Peter is speaking from a position of experience. Because not that long ago, Jesus spoke to Peter in Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32, and he simply says this to him. He says, uh, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I pray for you, Peter, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, that's repentance, turned back. When you've returned back, you will strengthen your brothers. Well, flash forward a little bit further. You'll find Peter in the courtyard witnessing the Lord Jesus been falsely accused in front of the people. And as he is there, people are in the crowd. They say, hey, that's one of his disciples there. And Peter denies Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. Peter walks away condemned because Satan has sifted him like wheat. He has 
separated him from his Lord. But something happened. Peter is reintroduced to the Lord. And he's reminded on this day that the Lord told him, there's going to come a day when I'm going to need you to remember your own personal conversion. And on that day, I need you to tell your story and strengthen your brothers. So I imagine in verse 39, it says, with many other words, he warned them. And just with my spiritual imagination, I just imagine that Peter just had to briefly tell them his own personal testimony. In fact, in the King James, it says, and he testified. And I can imagine that Peter says, listen, I'm speaking this to those of you who feel convicted because of your experience with Jesus Christ. I just want to let you know that I'm the same way. I've been the same person. You think that you're the only one who turned your back on him. I want to let you know I did it verbally and I did it by action. I left. And I want to let you know that on that day, the Jesus whom I denied came looking for me. And when I turned my back on him, the Lord never turned his back on me. And because of his faithfulness in my life, I am here today to let you know, if you repent, if you convert yourself, if you change your life, if you make it up in your mind that you are sorry enough to never do it again, I want to let you know that the Lord will not only, not only will he forgive you, but he will empower you so that you will live the life and have the hope that you always desired inside of your heart. So my brothers and my sisters, coming from Peter, and coming from the 3,000 who are in the scripture today, and coming from someone who has personally experienced it myself, let me let you know this. If you say you're sorry, to the point where you feel like you can never hurt the Lord again, what the Lord will say to you is you are forgiven. And not only are you forgiven, but I will give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit simply means this. I will allow him to come alongside you. And when you feel like you don't have strength enough, he'll hold you up. And when you feel like you're too weak, he'll be strong for you. And when you feel like you're by yourself, he'll be a friend. And when your family members abandon you, he'll be someone for you to love on. And when you feel like you have nothing else to give, he'll always be there. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. He will be there for the end of days. He's there for you. And they received. And new life was theirs. 